This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. My name is Alan Katz, and I'm so glad you could join us, because this season, there is an us. In Season 1, we told the story of the making of Bordello of Blood, and how all our movie-making craft turned to crap. In season two, we're going to expand the franchise and tell the same painful stories, except about other people's movies. That will be people I know and people my co-host knows. Hey, I said there'd be an us. My old creative partner, Gil Adler, is my new creative partner. Hey, Gil. Nice to be with you guys. And uh, I think perhaps we should refer to you as the shrink from now on. (laughs) The shrink, yeah, the... Yeah, like uh, I was uh, offering Prozac out to everyone here. Follow me, follow me, follow me. You know, it was it was such a cathartic. Like I said, it really was cathartic. Just yeah. even wanting to do it when you agreed to do it, despite all your reservations, uh, it and was. There were many. I had many reservations because you know the pain of making that movie was really something that stayed with me for a long time and maybe stays with me even today. Oh, and to, and to revisit it. You're suggesting that we revisit it initially was also very painful to me to think about that. But the more we talked about it, the more I saw the humor and the more I saw, you know, this could be interesting for some young filmmaker starting out or some old filmmaker realizing they had a similar experience. And I thought hmm, this might this might be something of interest for, for, for the general audience out there. What what we really celebrated season one what, what the whole podcast celebrates is collaboration absolutely what what made doing tales from the crypt such a special experience the confluence of of when it happened to what it was but it was a creative group look we we all understand the 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 artist struggling by himself the painter who's it's a unique vision uh, most writers, uh, it's a unique vision. You know, the world pours out the other end of their pen or their fingertips as they're typing. But the filmmaking process, especially, it, it demands collaboration. And the collaborative process is when, when people create collaboratively, it's, it is such a crapshoot. But when it works, oh my God, it's it's amazing what what the collaborative creative process can can produce. It, it, works of architecture, cathedrals, are collective visions. Yes, there might be one person who who whose architectural vision everyone is 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 trying to answer, but it's the collaborative effort to to bring that thing to life, to make it real is. Well, that's that's what filmmaking epitomizes. Well, one of the things about filmmaking that, you know, you learn as you go is that no one makes a movie by themselves. Oh, God, no. You know, the writer doesn't, the director doesn't, the cinematographer doesn't. I would stress doesn't. that the director doesn't. The auteur <laughs> theory is, is 99% bullshit. Right. So what we learn when we get into this business is that it relies on that collaboration and your the collaboration is only as good as the collaboration is mm. meaning with you know you're only as good as your weakest link 
So if there is a collaboration, but there's, there's a weakness in one area as opposed to another, that's going to surface. And inversely, when the collaboration works, it really flies. Oh, oh. And, and without, without attempting to blow smoke, you know, one of the things that really I have enjoyed over the years working with you and having a relationship with you is just that, that the collaboration worked really, really well. There was no ego from you. There was no ego from me. There was no uh, a hidden agenda from you. There was no, no, no. agenda from us. We just collaborated and, and, and we both got excited about, you know, our, our respective reactions to each other's work. It now, is a, it's a glorious, it, it, it's glorious. And, and, and indeed, that, that, is, that is what we're here always to celebrate. Yeah. But, but our stock and trade will be what happens when good collaboration goes horribly wrong. Right. And, and between the two of us, Gil and I know an awful lot of people who've, who've spent an awful lot of time in the, in the filmmaking trenches and have many horror stories to tell of when good filmmaking goes bad, or as we, we, we like to say around here, when filmmaking craft turns to crap. Uh, so that's what, what uh, you, hopefully you, you all have to look forward to as, as, as Gil, and I, Gil and I proceed through seasons two, three, four. Oh, hopefully who knows how far and wide this will go. But what we have for our very first episode is a conversation that's never been had about the collaborative process, about four people who created a thing uh, and rather collaboratively. And yet we've never talked about the thing that, that we, the four of us, collaborated upon or even how we got involved in our collaboration with this thing. And that thing is the Crypt Keeper. So the conversation is between Kevin Yeager, who, who created the created actual puppet, and John Kassir, who was the voice, yep. Alan, who was the, the voice of the voice, and me, who directed a bunch of And them. directed and, and, and produced it, because if, if yeah. they, it's filmmaking, and it's not just, you know, the vision of the producer is really as important, hey, that is the vision of the group. If the producer doesn't see it, nobody is going to see it. So we think this first uh, episode will give you an insight into something that most people don't really even know about. And oh. hear, hear from the actual people who did it, how they did it and why they did it. And uh, I, think, I think you'll enjoy it. I certainly yeah. do. Uh, hey, without any further ado. <laughs> John Kassir. Kevin, my good man, where are you hiding the painting, dude? You have not funny. You do not Kevin It's all the silicone and the foam latex. I was, he was gonna say exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he was like and the, and the makeup effects lifts and all that stuff, you know. Right. It's got cool. a lot of formaldehyde in it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, actually it's filters, you fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> listen, I tried the formaldehyde myself and look what happened to me. I know. Oh, they told you not to drink it. <laughs> are you, oh, now, you, now you tell me. From uh, are you in LA? I am in LA. I am in LA. I've been doing a lot of. You should all know that I've been doing a lot of conventions. I usually didn't do very many a year, but I had because 
of the pandemic. Yes. I hadn't done any in a long time and I had so many requests and a new home and I figured I could do a lot to that home. <laughs> oh god. We're doing some of these conventions and there isn't a single one that you know the kids didn't you know say please give my beast to all these fabulous people. Uh you know Kevin you're you know the most <laughs> maybe the most ripped well, off thing I, without I, licensing I in it, horror yeah. you know is that's the bordello of blood you know thing yeah. remember it's, it's like yes. people try to steal this i use it to photobomb people and oh, yeah. with my little yeah. when i do my little uh you know photo ops and stuff but um i mean that's great you're in the crypt i you know i just used it as a virtual background here that's you know but, uh some years ago jack wall had given me uh um, you know, a CD with all the photos uh, yes. that they took, you know, with really nice files on them. And I've, mm. I've kept them. God bless him. I can't believe he's he uh, he's gone already. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And Alan, where are you? Or where are you? Are you you're in L.A.? Oh, no, you said you're Highland Park. I'm, I'm in Highland Park right, right. as we as we sit here today. Um, so he, here's now that we've got you all. Yeah. Uh, he, here's what what I'd love to do with you all today. Uh I don't know if you've listened to season one of this, of, of the podcast. Uh, you know, the, the, the premise of the podcast of, of season one was, you know, the, what happens when good filmmaking goes horribly off the rails <laughs> and when, when, or as, as, as I put it, when, when filmmaking craft turns to crap. <laughs> um, and the whole first season was really about tales from the crypt and about the making of Bordello of Blood. For the second season, we're going to open it up, and it'll be, you know, it'll be a, a combination of things. It'll be, uh, for the most part, really horrible filmmaking experiences that other filmmakers that we know have had, and that's what we'll invite them in because Gil and I will do this together now. And it's just all the filmmakers we know giving their horror stories comparable to Bordello of Blood. Good luck with that. Uh, is but we're Joel also going to involved in all of those horrible stories. You know, <laughs> the, the, the man's reach is, is is incredibly vast. There's 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 a moment in in, in episode five when, when I talk about what ultimately happened to me. You know, I, I I was out of it for for almost two decades. I was just I was out of it, and I was a dad, and I was coaching ultimate frisbee. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and uh, Billy Eilish. Well, I, I coached Billy Eilish because you know I I do it in Silver Lake. Did she pay? And, with, did she pay with song? Uh, you know, this was. <laughs> it's funny. She she she's not much of a player. Uh, uh, Phineas, her brother, is quite good. Wow, quite good. Anyway, where uh, were you? Where were you, Kevin, when he needed that conversation I, with I you know. to get the songs? I know. <laughs> so you know, ultimate frisbee is you know it, I don't know if you know the sport. It, it's basically it's just frisbee. It's kind of like football, soccer, and there it's very few rules, self officiating. But one day there was a question about the rules, and I had to go look it up. And who the fuck invented ultimate frisbee? Joel Silver. No. Get out of here. Yeah. How is that possible? That is that is the button on episode five of season one. This, this well, I mean, somebody else invented it. He just paid them to, you yeah, know, yeah. to take I, it away from them. <laughs> he paid them but, nothing to take it away from them. Is but 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 you but this is part of angry angry frisbee. I would believe you. Yeah, truly. <laughs> I think Alan so, it was it was the Romanian Joel Silver. I think that you're talking about. 
<laughs> so, you know, it, it's funny. Joel's reach is staggering sometimes. It, it comes at you from the least expected places. You, you got to be so careful. Anyway, um, uh, what I wanted to talk about, just the four of us, really is, is, is the conversation that we've never had about our each of our roles in, in creating yeah. something that we don't own. Right. Uh, I had a and, piece of it. And I saw, I did see money the first year. And then Jack came on board and that all wow. rolled away. But, but we will talk about these things too, because, you know, really and truly, this is a conversation that an awful lot of people outside of this conversation would love to hear because yeah. it's never been had. And we each have contributed something quite significant to, to this to this creation that that the whole world knows to this day yeah. there's there's something to be said for all of us <laughs> <laughs> and this thing I mean, of ours that joel owns <laughs> so i i that's i want to talk about that but i also since in season one uh gil and i we uh you know we had a chance to talk about how we got into this mess before we and and I'm going to consider that that the interview has already started. If, okay. if you guys are good and I'm I'm recording it, um, in 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 season one, you know, I had a chance and Gil had a chance to, like I said, to 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 tell our story how we got into this, uh, how we got to Tales from the Crypt to begin with. We no one suddenly landed there by accident. Uh, I'm, I kind of did. I, 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 it was an accident, but I'll, I'll get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, hey, well, <laughs> well, that is, well, okay, since, since you started it. Uh, all right, you you uh, you grew up in Kansas. No, I, I actually, my my grandparents and my my parents okay. are from Kansas. I grew up okay. in Ohio. I was born in Illinois, in Ohio. In Ohio yeah. Okay. All right, I told all right. you, Alan, I told you those red shoes that he clicks three times, they weren't his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That gets me nowhere. I look really good in them, though. <laughs> oh, oh, I will bet. <laughs> no yeah and so uh, anyway how how it, this whole thing started for me was was i had a, a a shop in glendale and i was uh, fortunate uh enough to uh, be across from joel silver's storage unit and joel used to come in every so often he was working on uh i think it was hudson hawker around that time or something like that and he would come in in his joel way and he would come in what, what are you working on what are you working on and I said, oh, I'm just, you know, doing this or that. I had a lot of different projects going on. And one time he, he would just look around and he would, I'm telling you, 30 seconds. He'd walk in, would never even say hello. He'd just, he'd just come in and say, how, you know, what are you working on? Yeah. And, you know, what are you working on? What are you working on? And, and, uh, and, and as I was still in, in, in sentence telling him, he would walk out. I mean, it just would do this all the time to me. So I uh, said, so who is this guy? Who's this guy? First, I, I have another story. First time I talked to Joel was about doing Predator. It was called The Hunter. That goes way back. And I actually turned it down because this guy on the phone was screaming uh, the whole time. And I said, who is this madman? I can't. And I just, I ended up turning that down, funny enough. And, and Stan Winston had, had uh, recommended me for it. Anyway, back to Tales. So he would come over and say this. And he walked in one time and he said, what are you working on? I told him again. And he said, okay. Uh, he said, and he said, what are you doing next? And I said, I'm going to take some time off and write and direct. And he said, I may have something for you. And that's how I, by accident, sort of in a sense of having this 
storage unit across from Joel, met Joel, and that's how I got involved with the- How you got Crip. Now, but like a lot of us, you'd, you'd, been, you'd been circling around for a while. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Brain. Funny, I, I, you, you did some work on Hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Yes, with Mr. Adler there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go back in 1987, you, you were doing mannequin design. Yes, yeah, yeah. We did an episode with uh, oh, uh, James uh, Remar, right? Oh, yes. 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 Oh, boy. That's, that's funny how that connects because then we all did, of course, a crypt with, with That's right. In fact, that, that is, I've got James's head in the back. I did them. <laughs> and the funny enough, it, it, my wife ends up doing, she was on Seventh Heaven and she ends up doing an episode where she's kind of kissed James a remark. So the whole thing is, you know, circular. It all came back and, you know. Oh, boy. So anyway, yeah, yeah. That was, in, and uh, I don't know if, I think it was Gil that called me. Was it, do you remember it all, Gil? It was so, in so many episodes and, lifetime ago but i think it was i think it was yeah but yeah, I, I think you i think you called called me or somebody contacted me and then about doing these these uh four mannequins of a family that were in a house i can barely remember the story but it was yeah so- it was yeah you know uh carl schenkel i think was the director german director okay and i actually thought i called you but i thought i was calling joel silver no oh, no yeah. So- <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and I remember, another accident i've got a picture with me posing on the set yeah, and we shot that in Vancouver, did we not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in Port Coquitlam. I actually remember the house. I don't know. I couldn't take you to it now, but I, yeah. I remember it was Port Coquitlam. And I kept thinking, why are we in Port Coquitlam, which is like a 15-minute drive outside of Vancouver? Couldn't we find a house like near, closer? I just remember how beautiful it was. How, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the whole place is so gorgeous. Yeah. And, but anyway, I have a picture someplace in my files here with me and uh, in front of the mannequins. And, and James is, is photobombing me in the background. I have no idea. He's sticking his head and making that, you know, crazy James Remora looking face. But uh, yeah, um, that was a quick, I think a quick job. It was a quick yeah. TV, it was quick, yeah, it was a quick job for me, but yeah. And I, I, that's my first, I first met you. Yeah. Now, you also did, did some Freddy's? I did, yeah, I did uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, 3, 4, and the first TV series, which Mr. Adler also. <laughs> and that was all before Tales. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm simply laying out, uh, you know, for, for the audience that there were connections that preceded yeah. Crypt that, you know, some of us, we kind of bumped into each other a little bit beforehand. Yeah, who <clears throat> knew? Uh, as you also have a, a Children of the Corn on your resume, it's just that, not the one that we did. Yes. I was, I think I did work on three. Yeah, I, I, three. I went off to do, it was the middle of Tales. And I think when I left, I couldn't do uh, the wraparounds, direct the wraparounds and Gil took over, I remember. Right. I, I went off and directed uh, Hellraiser 4, which is now an Alan Smithy. I'm very proud of that, took my name <laughs> off. But, um, and they, one of the producers was wor- finishing Children of the Corn 3 or 4 or something, I think it was 3, and asked me to, to help him out. So I was doing that prior to directing it was the doing the effects for children of corn. Which one did you guys do? Two. Two. We, we, we are guilty, I'm sorry, responsible for reviving the whole stupid series. Oh, great. <laughs> it was dying and then you guys you know, gave it a movie. It was dead. It was nobody wanted to do it. It was, oh, there's a whole story. I, I'm not going to bother with it here, but there's a whole story how, how, that, how that silly movie got made. <laughs> That's hilarious. But anyway. Uh, all right, so you know there were there were a lot of associations with Kevin before before we got to the to the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Uh, 
John, how, how, how did you? Uh... I had no association with any of you assholes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lucky uh... you. <laughs> and he did everything he possibly could to continue that. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's true. Uh, actually, um, uh, am I turning green? It doesn't look like I'm coming on. Am you I see? coming on when I speak? No, you, 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 you look lovely. Thank you. No, it just uh, it, it you have that thing where it turns green. Whoever's speaking at whatever time. And oh yeah, no, you you uh, you you were yellowing up. You 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 were you were the you were the highlighted speaker. Um, Fabulous. There you go. All right. Are we seeing all the time? Just you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna the 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 YouTube version of this will will simply be the gallery view. Got it. Got it. All right. Cool. Just so I know. Just so I'm not picking my nose in the middle of you know <laughs> Gill's interview. I just want to know these. There, there's there's no time off. <laughs> My association was because of HBO. And um, well, you first in 10. Yeah, I had, um, you know, it's strangely won Star Search as a stand up comic in 1985. Why I do you say strangely? Because, of all I the words a, because I wasn't a stand-up comic at the time. Huh. I, uh -huh. I was uh, doing an off-Broadway show called Three Guys Naked from the Waist from the Down. Waist Down, yeah, yeah. Which starred myself and, and Scott Bakula and uh, Jerry Colker, who wrote the piece, and huh. um, who I told you you reminded me of in, in all the positive ways. But, uh, Alan, but, um, you know, just uh, as a writer, uh, a brilliant writer, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't one of those uh, Niagara Falls kind of relationships. <laughs> Slowly, I turn. Yeah, exactly. Step by step. Inch by inch. Inch by inch. There's got to be a Crypt Keeper one for yeah, that. Yeah, you got it. Um, but uh, literally, they, uh, you know, they approached me while I was doing the show and said, we want you to be on Star Search. And I said, what is a singer? Because it was a musical. You know, think uh, dream, uh, dream Girls, but with stand-up comics. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it was a big hit off Broadway, and they saw me in it, and everybody thought that I was, you know, this untethered kind of, you know, Andy Kaufman-ish, William, Robin Williams kind of stand-up, and here I was playing a part. And they said, no, we want you to come on as a stand-up comic. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic. <laughs> they go, well, you can win $100,000. I'm like, fuck, have you seen my act? <laughs> yeah. You know, so... Literally, you know, I was, you know, on there making up this shit as I was going along and I didn't really have an act. So I was doing, you know, voices and characters and I do like the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. And I, you know, they would give me two and a half minutes and every time I won, I'd have to come back on, you know, and I'd have to come up with another bit. So, you know, um, Kevin's walking out on me already. Anyway, um, <laughs> it was something we said. Something, yes, definitely something we said. Hello. <laughs> and, uh, um, but so, you know, when I was, uh, my first series was First in Ten, which was HBO's first series. And, you know, I got a call from my agent saying, listen, they want you to come audition for Tales from the Crypt. And I was like, oh my God, they're making that into a series. I had collected the comic books as a kid. I couldn't believe it. You know, I used to have to hide those comic books from my mother. I'd put them in my Casper comics, you know, because they were like, oh, it Casper delinquency, you know. Of course. It's so funny. I, I tell people to, you know, watch our behind the screams, you know, in the DVD set and, you know, about how bizarre it was that those comic books were, you know, pre-code were so, um, you know, scandalous. And, they were subversive. Uh, they they were genuinely subversive. That that's why they were great. Juvenile delinquency. 
So um, I was like, yeah, I want to go down and audition. And then when I found out I get to go down to Kevin Yeager's studio to audition, I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. I remember walking into the studio and just, you know, nobody stopped me. Nobody went like, what are you doing here? And I just kept walking around looking at all this stuff because Kevin was in the back, um, you know, Recording people on a boombox, as I remember, with like a little lava. Now I'm 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 going to stop you for one yeah. second, John, because you're you're about to get into 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 prime territory, and we'll never go back to to. Okay, great. I wanted to I wanted to just talk a little Baltimore before you got full Crip Keeper. You got it, because because we both come from Baltimore. Oh, how did I not know that? I I I don't know that we ever talked about it before. Are you embarrassed but- to be from Baltimore? I, well, hey, you know, I, I, I moved to New York first, and then I moved as far away from it as I could. I would have moved further, but I ran out of real estate. I uh, came from a really good part of Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good for you. I love Baltimore. Go uh, on. Yeah. I, I, Go I, on, I, Edgar Allan Poe. Come on. Uh, so, so you still have a good relationship with, with, with Baltimore. Yeah, my family's all still back there. My dad's ninety-eight years old. Hmm. My mom's you, ninety-two. Wow. You went to you went to Lock Raven High. Did, did, did they live? You live out out in, in that part of uh, yeah, by the Lock Raven Reservoir, and uh-huh. um, you know, that's a nice lot, part of Baltimore. Yeah, it must, it's very county, cool. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people didn't even know Lock Raven was you know named after Raven. You know, the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. They were like, oh, it must be because there's a lot of ravens around the reservoir. <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. But, the reservoir but, was named after the Edgar Allan Poe, you know, story of the raven. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it was kind of a dark place to grow up. We used to have, um, we used to have something called uh, Twilight Movie. And it'd be at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I have done my homework. My mom was making dinner. We had five kids in my family. Channel 13. It was, cha- it was WJZ. There you go. And I, you know, I watched that too. Keep going. Keep it was going. Great. Well, you know, it would have everything from like Doris Day movies to, you know, Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, Mothra. To the Marx Brothers. Marx Brothers. WC Fields. You know, and then they would also have all the, all the Universal Horror Monster movies and the Roger Corman stuff like Tingler yep. and yep. House yep. of yep. Wax and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, The Fly and that kind of thing. And so that was what everything that I loved. I couldn't believe that. You know, all the stuff that I loved growing up was the kind of thing that I was getting auditioned for, you know, so it's it was kind of fitting, you know. And so suddenly there you are. Now you're in Kevin's studio walking around (laughs) and you're about to audition for this thing now. So you had seen. All right. So it was was the Crypt Keepers. The face as we know him was that finished by the time you, you know there were, were different ver- there were different versions of it as I remember you know Kevin had on one of his on one of his uh, you know tabletop benches that he was working on and they were all similar at that point but uh, you know Kevin had later showed me some other sketches and some of his um, you know uh, clay figurines that he had sculpted but uh, I think that most of them there was one that had a nose but I think the other two had no noses you can correct me if I'm wrong Kevin no that's right this is what I remember and um, but they you know I generally got the picture of you know the the rotting flesh and the uh, you know and it was funny because there were a couple of other actors in there preparing to audition for Kevin. And they were, I remember them looking at the scripts, Kevin, and going, 
Be careful what, <laughs> be careful what you a- ask for. This is terrible. They're like, what is this shit? Yeah, yeah. And I can see them trying to be really scary and mean and all this stuff. I'm like, you guys don't get this. This is fucking Shakespeare yeah. to this guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah, going, okay, yeah. you got, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock style of punning and you've got the, you know, and then of course, you know, I had been doing the Wizard of Oz in my act. And I was like, you know, I'll throw on the Margaret Hamilton laugh and all this stuff. <laughs> And I go, and I can see Kevin, when I get into Kevin's little back area where he's recording people, I could see that he's like been sitting there for hours going, What you do, one more actor, dude. Yeah, I got to hear one more fucking version of something that doesn't work. And I start doing this for him. Hello, kitties. (laughs) And he starts, he goes, like this. He's pointing at me going, like this, you know, keep going in that direction, you know, and I'm laughing at him, laughing at me, and I'm going, oh, this is perfect. The Crypt Keeper laughs at his own jokes. This is perfect, you know, and I start doing it for him, and that's mostly what I remember about that, about how, like, I was like, oh, good, he liked it, you know. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking it's it's HBO. Nobody's got HBO yet. Hardly anybody has HBO. Nobody's going to see this. I'm already on an HBO series. I think Nobody it was the first TV it. series, too, that HBO was doing, I think. Well, I had been on First and Ten and then oh. also some Dream yeah, Brian On. Brian Benben's show. Okay. Yeah, Dream On. I had I was recurring but, on Dream On. But, but, but so, those were TV shows. Yeah. yeah. This was this was like the anthology series. I mean, it, it there's a great story that you probably guys all know about how like when they showed these in the theater as a you know cast and crew screening and a promotional thing, that there was some guys sitting in front of me that were like crew guys or something, and they're like, "Oh my God, this is great TV!" And one the other guy goes, "It's not TV, it's HBO." And the two you know the two execs look at each other like, oh, we're stealing that. Uh, And they did, you know, it was like, it was amazing. But, um, you know, Kevin, I got a call. They said, you know, Kevin really liked you. I want you to go, you know, um, see Joel Silver and Richard Donner. And I had to drive all the way out into the corner of, you know, the end of Radford, wherever that hits, you know, like by the Santa Monica, I mean, you know, the the Mojave Desert somewhere. I don't know where you guys were, but they were in some little trailer that was all like fake paneling and I did it for them. And they were like, great, we'll see you on the set. And I was like, oh, my God, it's got to be the easiest thing that I ever got. <laughs> well, you, you deserved it. I, I, oh, thank I, you. The, the deal I made with Joel was about directing and writing. So he said that, you know, you can eventually do this, that Bob Zemeckis was going to be the one to audition and, and do everything. But he goes off and he was working on, I think, two or three of Back to the Future. I can't remember. He became unavailable. But they, they always said, you can you can run it. And, and it was, I think they were frightened of puppets. I think that's the overall scared them. So they go, can you do handle this? I said, sure, sure, you know. And I, and I, you know, we had uh, Rick Overton. You remember Rick Overton? Yes. Stand up comedian. Good for sure. Uh, Michael Winslow came in, you know, the, the guy that does all the things from uh, Police Academy. And, and they did, Police, uh, yeah, Academy. And they did, you know, nice auditions. But I got to tell you that what happened was, and what I'd had everybody do is come look at the Crypt Keeper so that they could have a visual, right? And, you know, like you said, the rotting throat and all that, and told, told them what I was doing, not sure if the nose is going to stay or not, all that stuff. So that's <laughs> right on with what John was saying. And then I had them first go back with a casting director and and just read the lines without me being in the room, because I didn't want to first hear it without 
with, with seeing John's face. I wanted to, you know, imagine the Crypt Keeper and, and, you know, match that up without seeing that. So that's what I did with everybody. And I remember Michael Winslow came out and he was very, very cocky. He, he and not, I don't mean in a bad way. He was just kind of like, yeah, I just gave you the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, yeah. He was like, he said, you know, don't you don't have to look at anybody else. It was that kind of attitude. Sure. And he, he just wasn't right at all. I mean, it was like he did things that were I couldn't even understand him. But what got me about John when he came in and he so he did the audition first. I mean, he laid it down on tape. It was just cassette tape, you know, back then. I went in and listened to, to it. And then I think I remember pulling him back in to have him doing it again in front of me. And that's what I think what he's saying. My yeah. reaction was seeing him. I didn't, re- I didn't remember that. I couldn't part. believe that. I couldn't believe that voice came out of this nice guy, you know, this, this, <laughs> this normal looking guy. And I, I wanted to see it for real. Like, what, what is that voice? Come? And then what got me, the, the, what killed it was the laugh. I mean, and, and I was, my, my assignment was to bring in, three voices out of all the, they sent me, I don't know, 20 people or so, and almost mostly stand-up comedians like John. And so they said, just pick three and we'll, we'll all decide together. And so I walked in and this is no lie. I walked in with one tape and it was yours. And I wow. gave it to Joel. I went into his office and I sat, we he had this little console on the side of his desk and, you know, we both pulled up chairs and he popped it in. He, you know, he's like, he was like a kid. He just loved this stuff. And he was just real close to the, to the speaker. And I said, I don't care what you say. I don't, you know, you can go look at other people. I'm not interested. I said, this guy is it. The voice is it. The laugh is incredible. You're, I've looked at 20 guys. They don't even hold a candle. And I'm not just blowing smoke up. Oh, thanks. Your, your hiney. I'm, I'm telling you, this was, <laughs> you, blew, you blew me out of the water. And, and to this day, it's like that voice is just the classic voice with the character because that's, that's how great it is. So I, I said, here it is. That's it. That's all I have to say. And so then he said, well, I'll call him and have him come in. And that's, I think you went out to meet them. I wasn't there, but you went out to meet Joel and, and then Donner. Yeah. But I already said, I'm not doing, I was basically saying I'm not doing, I'm not kidding. I said, I'm not interested. This guy, this guy has, every, and, and as soon as Joel heard it, he just a huge smile on his face and, and he was shaking his head, you know, doing all that stuff. So I knew you were in at that point, but they had to make sure that at least one of the <laughs> executives had signed off on it too. And that was good. That's awesome. So, and that was that was what I remember, you know, about about the whole you know process and and, uh, and finding John. And I was that was so, so happy because what happens and you, you know, you guys all know this auditioning people. you got to look at me. You just want the person to walk in and give you the character. You know, yeah, you just want it. them to say, here's your lead character. Right. And that's what John did. You know, he walked in and it was just like, oh, my God. It's, it's like, like buying a house. You, you, voice. It's like buying a house. You, you know, within a matter yes. of seconds. Yes. This is it. Or. Yep. There's a fatal flaw here. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I mean, it was just, that, that's, I was so happy when he left. I can't, I'm smiling that. I, I was so happy when he left because it was just like, this is the guy. They're not going to argue with me. I know they won't. And I, I think that gave me the confidence to walk in. And because, you know, as we all know, it's hard to, to tell Joel yeah. what to do. Yeah. But, but he, but I just had confidence because I knew that they would say, they wouldn't say no. You know, it's, it's amazing because you, you know, very often, and back then I had been auditioning for, you know, major pilots and stuff like that. You know, here I was on a series, but it was HBO, which was easier to get. I yeah. mean, I think I was supposed to do two episodes and they laughed the whole time I worked and I wound up on it six years. Yeah. But it was, but, you know, first in 10. But, you know, the rest of the stuff, I mean, they they make a contract with you where you're like, you're going to get paid $25,000 a week if you get it and you get nothing if you don't. Yes. And then you have to go be funny in the room. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit you know and i was thinking okay this is this is hbo 
you know, maybe people won't even see it. And it's something I loved as a kid. And I'm just going to make this as fun as it is. And I already knew that I had just, if I had walked out of Kevin's studio and had a lot of fun with Kevin, that was all I cared about. You know, got to see some of his stuff on the wall and all that stuff. And, you know, so it, in, in some ways it became like the easiest thing that I ever got because yeah. I just, because it was. It was also a one audition thing, basically. Yeah. It wasn't, you had to go back and do it, have callbacks. That's it. That, that was it. Uh, let me ask you something, uh, uh, just to, uh, because at one point, either the first year, or the second year, something, they came to me and said, we're not, we're not being able to make a deal with John. Something happened with your deal. And yeah. they actually, yeah. I wanted more. I wanted more than scale. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, I wanted double scale yeah. instead of scale. Scale plus 20. You <laughs> Something happened. And Joel said, we have to find another Crypt Keeper voice. And I just, I was like, I was like falling apart. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah. they, they go out to Burbank, sound studio in Burbank. And this old guy, I don't know who it was. This old guy is behind this mic. They said, just go over there and, 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 and listen to him. So I went over there. And he was fucking terrible. Excuse me. He was <laughs> he was he was so bad. And he was he, he looked to me like at the time like fifty eight or something. It was just like what who is some old friend of Donner's probably I don't know. But he was just and kind of thank God. And I just called up Joel. I said, "You guys are out of your mind. You guys are out of your mind. I don't know who this guy is. You got to go make a deal back with John." So what happened with? Can you talk about what happened with that? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, literally, you know, I had already done two seasons at scale. Yeah. which was fine and you know i mean it's it is hard hard work and i was doing two other series i was on a network series as well at the time and i was like you know what they could pay me double scale yeah. or my yeah. manager you know who's she's no longer with us she died at 40 from cancer yeah. but she, she used to be right in joel's face she did yeah. she was she was like one of the only people i've ever seen who wasn't scared of joel silver at all she'd be like joel you're sitting at a frank lloyd wright desk <laughs> tell that desk Whatever money you get for it, give it to John. He'll never ask you for another cent. How's that? <laughs> All right, I'll give him double scale. Ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, but literally, we just want a double scale. Just to, just to let us know that I was coming in and getting paid something besides scale, you know, because they never gave me more than a day player contract. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you were saying, they once they started licensing it, they were licensing the show for nothing. I was getting yeah. residuals for 13 cents. You know, I was just like, that's because how little they paid me. But it was fine. Everybody was working for what they could get paid to make something really special. But, um, you know, they were so, such jerks about it. I was like, who cares? You know, it's like, I love doing this show, but, you know, you guys can pay me double scale. You know, and um, and they were like, well, we're going to fire you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was just a big threat. I think the whole thing, seeing this other guy audition was something. They were just trying to say, hey, yeah, we were in auditions for other people. Just like manager. Yeah, no, this was after the second season. I can't yeah. remember when it was. I almost want to think it's it was even the first season, like after the first few episodes. Or so. I do remember, John, when it was. Well, you know, they had done the three episodes and then we didn't know if they were going to get it picked up. Of course, they brought in Gill. Yeah. And they, well, oh, oh, yeah, we can afford to do this. You know? No, no, we didn't come in until the third season, yeah. Gill and I. And so it was after I, the second season. Then, yeah. Probably. So because yeah. that, that's what I was I just wanted to, to, to square up because I, I remember it happening while, while Gill and I were, were, were running the show. 
Uh, I, I would have been surprised if it happened twice, but it only happened the <laughs> once. We, they, they, Joe only tried to, to, to can your ass once. He, he tried to can uh, all the puppeteers at one point, too. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that. I, I was going to say that. that. He called me in the office. I, I brought my, my younger brother, Chris, with me. You guys remember Chris at all? Sure, and sure, he, sure. He, he's, we're still working together. But he, um, he, I said, you got to see, I want you to be a witness. I don't know what's going to come out of this guy's mouth. So <laughs> don't come in. And he, at one point he said, he was, he, he just did work, would work himself up into like this, you know, anger. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, being the power, you know, powerful producer, you know, front that he put on. But he said, you know, if I could take all the puppeteers, because what he wanted to do was get it down to one puppet, puppeteer. <laughs> I said, Joel, you know, if it's not broke, why fix it? You know, it's working. You know, there's six people and we may be able to shave one off but you know I, to do all that now it's a whole reworking it would cost more money to figure that out you need computers in which we're just starting you know to record and play back i said you know let's just keep it and he just started getting worked himself up and so he starts screaming if i could take all the puppeteers and put them in a box and sink them to the bottom of the ocean right now and get away with it I would do it. I would fucking know. And he's screaming, I would do it, you know. And and I just looked over at my brother Chris, like, you know, are you taking all this down? Because I wind up in a box in the box. Yeah. Make sure make sure to write clearly. <laughs> so uh yeah, that was just a funny thing. You know, the first time I came in to show Joel the pictures of the all the sketches I did, he keeps me waiting, you know, like I remember Gil and I waited for 45 minutes one time oh, in, in his lobby like everybody right sure, so sure. He, he says okay joel see you know and i walk in and he's on the phone pacing back and forth and this is when he was at before he took over donner's office when he was in his smaller office and i look to the couch to the side of the couch and steven spielberg is sitting down not to drop it he's sitting there on the couch patiently waiting for joel to talk to him and he hadn't talked to him yet so <laughs> I can, this goes, he you know, waves me in sit down and so I go to sit down and I'm just, I say, hey, how you doing? I, I look over at Steve and he goes, fine, how are you? Fine. And then I, I, he said, I said, are you here for tales? He said, yeah, you know, I did this show, you know, uh, uh, what was that uh, show that he did? Um, not tales, it was- uh, Oh, Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories, yes, Amazing mm -hmm. Stories. So, it, it, and he said, Joel wants to be, in, be involved with this and I'm not sure, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm doing the, the, the host of the show. And so I pulled out the book. And so Stephen and I are looking at the pictures and he picked one that he thought, I asked, I said, well, if you were to pick one of these, which one would be? It was my least favorite that he picked. But he, <laughs> he picked one that had like a riffraff from Rocky Horror looking kind uh, of uh -huh. character that I did. Uh -huh. That was his favorite. And then finally Joel gets off and then Stephen, you know, got, they had a few words about, no, I'm not, I'm not interested and, and thank you for bringing me in. And then he, then he split and I finished my meeting with Joel. But that's, that was kind of a funny little, little thing awesome. so he had a little bit to do with tales from the crypt that's awesome <laughs> you know i mean he did hire me to come back and do a, a cameo in casper oh yes he, yes because he, he loved the crypt keeper so that's much right. yeah i we had auditioned for one of the uncles you know the, the three ghost uncles and i didn't get it but then i you know like my manager calls me and goes i just got a call from steven spielberg i was like what they go yeah he asked if you would be so kind as to come do and i'm uh, obviously he had made a deal you know with joel or whatever to, to yeah. have the crypt keeper do a yeah you know and obviously they would have needed you or the, yeah, and the puppeteers. yeah and um so you had pre-recorded yeah of course but yeah so you know i mean they called it i was like how bizarre how yeah. bizarre to go oh he loves the crypt keeper <laughs> so he, he didn't pick the right one but he wound up loving the one you picked yeah yeah i guess so <laughs> So anyway, it's all on you, Alan. It's all on you, babe.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then when Gil and I told the story in, in, in the first season, how, how we got sucked into this, uh, Gil was, was you know, HBO really trusted Gil with, with problematic shows. Uh, he had just uh, solved a big problem for them on, on their, was it the Vietnam War stories yeah. in Savannah. And suddenly they had a, a, this, the show called Tales from the Crypt with these big executive producers. And the second season had gone wildly over budget. And there's going to be one more season, just a third season, and someone needed to, to, to see it out. And so I think the expectation was that Gil would, would manage the budget more prudently than it had been managed in the, during the second season. And I was Gil's writing partner. And I think what got me in the door, well, well being Gil's writing partner got me in the door. What, what I think sold me to Barry Josephson was my, my whole approach, really, I, I love the comics as well. When I watched the show, my biggest question about the Crypt Keeper was, what does he do when he clocks out at the end of the day? <laughs> what does he do when he's not being the Crypt Keeper? When he, go, when he goes home and he, and he takes off the Crypt Keeper stuff. Yeah. Who is he really? And that's the Crypt Keeper that I wanted to, to spend time with. And, and, and fortunately, Barry was cool with that. Uh, you know, the, the puns, unfortunately, came with the territory. <laughs> that, that was not that's the thing that keeps him quotable why everybody oh gosh yeah. yes now i well in actual fact when when you said that to, to barry and i think it was relayed to joel and i think they were sort of like nodding their heads uh-huh uh -huh. i don't think they had a clue what we were talking about <laughs> oh certainly not oh no 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 i i don't think they they expected where ultimately you know we you know the, the crypt keeper was was a was a, a an incredibly fun character through the first two seasons, but but they're gotten a kind of there's kind of sameness to him. You know, the lower birth episode's different because it's about him. Yes. Um, but you know, when we suddenly opened opened the Crypt Keeper's world, he suddenly became uh, more marketable. Yeah. yeah and sure. I, I do got you guys wrote the 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 one where um, he's in bed with some with a corpse. Yes. Yes. They give yes. the keep it too. Yeah, that was. That was one of Okay, <laughs> we're going oh, here now. This I love a ghoul who'll give you head and then let you keep it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was always rather fond of the hole in Juan. Yes, golfing, that's, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. But, Is my yeah. caddy Juan? Now, I just got a hole in Juan. <laughs> I I got to tell you that I would write them in batches. It was the only way to do it. I, I would sit down and and as we were going to record them in batches. It was, it, this was going to be usually 48 hours of absolute pain. Yes. Absolute pain. Yes. Writing those was so fucking hard. I can't tell you. Well, I, you know, I, I, the first couple of seasons, I got to help out and write a, some of them, and they oh. are extremely hard to do. Oh, my yeah. God. Try delivering them for, yeah, yeah. Oh my for God, over my 30 God. years. Oh, my God. Because people still interview me as the Crib Keeper yes. and stuff, and I have to not only try to quote some of the ones that you guys wrote over the years, but also come up Do with my own fly. on the fly. Oh. And it's it's amazing how much my brain works that way now. And I don't know. I got a, a kind of a love-hate relationship with it. But Yeah, yeah. That's, that is, that's exactly what it is. It is. Because you, when, when you come with a really good one it's man it's transcendent it's it's like one of the funniest jokes ever yeah 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 
Well, John, John, you're great at, at, at improving him too. I mean, we did that horror Hall of Fame. Oh my God! Remember that? And we were that was live television. Well, at least we were recording it live. We couldn't make any mistakes. Well, and, Bro and, Bro and Brock, Brock Winkless and those yeah, Brock guys had there. gotten really good at just following me too. Yeah, you, you said he was right next to you in the sticks and watching your mouth and everything you were doing, and you were just off doing your own thing. So he had to follow along, but you guys, you pulled it off. They're unbelievable. The puppeteers were unbelievable. But did, this is also about the time too. Was at what point did we? Were you able to, you know, add some servos and have the Crypt Keeper be able to speak where we could have him well, the, be the faster first, and funnier? The, the first season, um, the whole idea was, do you remember uh, Jack, the character Jack from American Werewolf in London? You know, he, as he slowly rotted, David Naughton's friend, you know, who gets attacked mm. and he's rotting. And so we, we kind of talked about that a lot, about having no lips. And so, you know, having all that rotted away. And then we, after the first season, you know, even the first three, it was like, okay, there's something missing here we need to because you can't see him pronounce it it's just a, ends up being a, a you know a yeah. or whatever you know moving his lips and i remember bob was a man i heard from joel you know joel was no you know had no you know issues with telling me how other people felt or whatever you know so he just said you know bob hates the crypt keeper i said what do you mean hates the crypt keeper he said hey he hates, he hates the way he talks i said what are you talking about he said ah, he just says he doesn't speak very well i said well what do you mean what can i do you know what's going on so i walked up to bob at a joel silver party in in one of his Frank Lloyd Wright houses on, <laughs> and I and I walked right up to him. I said, "So I heard you hate the Crypt Keeper, right? Can you tell me about that?" And Bob was like, "No, no, no, wait, wait, wait. That's not what he said." But he was saying basically, you know, that the lips weren't moving and that you know it didn't look very good because the lips weren't moving. We had a long talk about it, so I went right back, and the next season or the next few, and I re-sculpted him. So I gave him full, you know, full lips, even though there was chunks missing. I gave him full lips, and then we did put more servo work into those lips and so he came back i think it was season two I, I, at least on i know on lower birth by the time i was directing that episode that he had full lip mobility and so we we improved him yeah <laughs> well you know because i remember i auditioned you know for, for you with you know him being able to do you know being a stand-up comic i was you know bringing all this kind of delivery to him mm -hmm. and the first time we went in the studio kevin's like no, 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 the mouth is like, you know, only opens about this. Can we make him? And I go, okay, well, he'll talk slower and more ominously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we did some quiet stuff and then you yeah. go really big. I love that John, how he, John would do that. He would take it and his voice would go real, that guttural kind of, it hurt almost to listen to it. It was so painful to listen to it. Be like that, you know, down and like that kind of thing. And then it suddenly would be this, yeah way up high by the way <laughs> did you guys know that the very first time you hear the crypt keeper in the very first episode i can't remember if it's uh, uh zemeckis's or or uh, donner's but the very first one it's my voice and the only reason is is because we were missing the intro of uh where he says uh you know well uh, uh, good oh, evening tales from the crypt yeah says, yeah good evening boys boils and ghouls and welcome to the crypt and the first time I, we were missing that so i just stood in to do it on you know live on the thing just to fill in and then john was going to come we never had john come back in and i couldn't believe it stuck so <laughs> i feel a part of you you are <laughs> so dude it's you actually are. it was actually oh, uh, i mean now i'm finding out i probably <laughs> never would have got the part if you, you know, <laughs> zemeckis hadn't been doing his movies you that's know, right and, and it, it it's our own little easter egg i was yeah. meant to take over eventually but what happened was uh, uh zemeckis went off and then donner was going to take over and direct and then i would eventually Bill, Bill uh, uh, Teitler at the time was producing. 
And he's, you know, he was saying, yeah, we'll get to you like episode six or maybe next season or something. And then I did a bunch of storyboards. And again, I think people were frightened of it being a puppet and didn't understand it. So they, they ended up, uh, I showed them the storyboards and I walked them through the whole thing and Tyler's there and we we're on the set. We we're actually on the set of the crypt right behind you someplace over there. And, um, and he said, okay, great kid, good luck. And slapped me in the back and walked off and Tyler freaked out, ran after him. And that was it. And that's how I actually got it. Cause Don, he said, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. So then Bill was there on the set over, he was calling action and cut with me. And I finally asked, I said, can I, can I talk to you for a second? I took him off set and I said, we can't both be doing this. If I'm doing this, you can't be here. I said, I need you to leave or I'm, I, I can't do this. So he was, he kind of went, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just a little, you've never directed before. I did some second unit, but he was like, you never really directed before. So I just, I'm, I'm nervous. I said, well, just, just let me, give, give me, give me a few, few, you know, give me the day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like what you see the next day, you can replace me or do it yourself or whatever. And so then I got the word that it was okay. And wow. they, they gave me wow. the job. I almost didn't get the job because of, you know, because of that. But and they're, and they're brilliant. I mean, they're, oh. they're fucking brilliant. Oh my I mean, gosh. there's a, you know, little did we know, and, and uh, now that I'm, you know, go to a lot of conventions and stuff, at first over a certain number of years of the show, um, you know, being, uh, you know, moving its way to sci-fi and this kind of stuff, I would go to a convention and some people would come up, oh, I love Tales from the Crypt, blah, 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 blah. But once we got to the age group of kids who had been sneaking to watch this show, became adults, young adults, my lines turned into, you know, huge lines of people who swear that the Crypt Keeper was their gateway drug to horror. Wow. You know, and I say that as a joke to them and they don't laugh. They go, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm so glad to have popped your scary. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, how many times uh, Alan and I were asked, and we at some of these conventions and they would say, okay, so can you reveal now, like who's the actor that plays the Crypt Keeper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we would say, there is no actor. And they go, come on, you could tell us. It's a puppet. He's a puppet run by five guys. They go, yeah, come on, it's an actor. It was, it was always, even as someone who, who, who was part of the group that made the Crypt Keeper, Watching the Crypt Keeper come to life on set was always quite, there was a strange bit of, I'll use the word magic for want of a better That's word. Uh, and though, hey, I, I sat in the recording studio, but John, I, I watched him record it. I, I hear the damn beep track. I, I see all the puppeteers. And then, you know, Kevin, you'd call action and suddenly he'd come to life. You, you know, the funny, thing, the funny thing is, is that that same thing happens to me uh, whenever I do an animatronic. There's a lot less animatronics, obviously, this today. But every time I put that first skin on and yeah. up the mechanism and, and have it and do it to a recording or something like, like John's voice, I have the same exact feeling, even though I did it all. You, you, when you put it together, there's something about, you know, you, your element, you know, the writing element and then John's voice and all this stuff and having those three things come together. At, at the, in front of you and you're going, well, I know I, I was such a big part of this and it was magic for me too. It, it, ha, it has that same effect every time, I, whether it was Chucky or anything that I did, as soon as you know, with, with, you know, Brad Duras voice or whatever, the whole thing coming together, the writing and stuff, 
Uh, oh, it, it's, it's it is. Uh, I, I atheist that I am. There was something <laughs> spiritual took a hold of the damn thing. I, I always tell people, I, I don't. Uh, this may sound weird, but you feel a little bit like a creator in, in, in a sense. The creator is something by putting together there's something that didn't exist before, and now it's alive and moving. Even though you hear the servo motors and you know that you're playing back John's voice and all that stuff, but something about all of that together, it, it is a magical moment. And I did. So, so much so that that's why we had a child, a children's audience. I mean, yes. every single one of them tells sure, me they sure, were sure. walking by the TV and they heard first they'd hear this voice and they'd go over there and they'd see this thing moving and they'd be like, they were like, it scared the shit out of me, but I had to watch it. Yeah. It's like the roller coaster effect where they go, we're going to go on that. And you're like, no, I'm not going to get on that. Oh, and sure, then you sure, do sure. finally go on it. It's like, oh, I want one bigger. I want one badder. I want one, you know, it's like that kind of thing. And the fact that okay. the Kevin, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just thinking that, you know, what you were saying earlier, I, I, I think we all shared that because whether we were writing the, the puns or writing what he said and you were and figuring out, is he a, is he a doctor? Is he a beetle? Is he a you know, chiropractor? When we got to the place where it all came together, yes, 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 it, it was just so tingling. Yeah. You know, it was it was so painful in the sense that it was so hard to get there. Yeah. But once we got there, and we yeah, started, yeah. it was yeah. like it was like mesmerizing. I mean, it was like as we were doing it, it was like wow, you know. And then, and then, whether you were directing Kevin or you were directing Gil, you'd you'd yell cut, and. The, and he would deflate. He would just, <laughs> and suddenly, like all the magic, just like, yeah, drain right out of him. And he got, that's right. He's a damn puppet. He actually got that cue from Kevin and myself because uh, we would deflate as well. As we said, <laughs> sure. uh, two of us. Yeah, you you should see me at the end of cut. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a, a quite a hmm, when I. Writing the writing for the Crypt Keeper was was far more of an of a profound experience than I ever thought it was going to be, and I I wanted that to have that experience. It was it was transcendent. I you know, I went through a lot of years. I went through a lot of dark years. We talked about that during season one, where I I really I denied. I, I just I, I didn't I denied my connection to all of this stuff. I I I don't know what my my I know what my problem was, but. And yet, when I finally regained my my mojo, <laughs> the Crypt Keeper is so is so part of me. I think of those fucking puns every goddamn day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. You guys got to do even more in the writing. You know, more and more different things. Like Gil just mentioned, the Beatles. That was a great, you know. Yeah. So you got to, and you had to outdo yourself all the time. Like you know, we you know the stories about something. It's about a carnival, or it's about you know, something else or, you know, whatever. Of course, murder is always there. But, you know, you you had to come up with inventive ways to make it different <laughs> each time. You know, I, I just remember, like, I remember the God, there was a Godfather one that I loved. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. Whole, you know, the, the whole Godfather scene, you know, uh, shooting too, and it was a whole thing. And then, of course, the Beatles. And, and just having them in a different costume, you know, was, was great. Uh, yeah, I especially of us. When, we, when we would talk about it, Alan and I would talk about it, and we would come up with these things and, you know, we would meet in the morning or whatever, and he would say to me, well, what about, or I would say, well, what about, and we'd look at each other and we would laugh and we'd yeah. go, well, how are we going to do that? I mean, what, a, so, so if he's, if he's Marlon Brando or if he's a Kyle, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was really very, um, it was mind boggling for us because we could do, we could go anywhere with it. Yes. 
And I, yeah, I, 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 it really wasn't tied to anything you guys could do. I mean, obviously you're introducing a story, so it has to have something to do with that, but right. you can come up with whatever you wanted to. Right. Well, hey, we even took him in, into Forrest Gump territory. Right, right. That's right. Yeah, right, exactly. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was... But, but once we took him out of out of the crypt, in essence, you know, he could go anywhere yeah. and and he could do literally anything. Yeah. My my favorite, my most favorite were the ones where the, the where, where Bill Sadler uh, yeah. worked against the Crypt Keeper. Uh, well, when it was the mummy once and, and yeah. once yeah. as uh, playing shocked. I think uh, uh, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that that to me was just hilarious. The idea Oh, the idea of, of, of the Crypt Keeper looking at the Grim Reaper thinking, God, you're so boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, people ask me the about the one from Oil's, Oil's Well That Ends Well all the time where the Crypt Keeper's watching me on camera. Uh, you know, the other actors are good, but yeah. this one, yeah. the regular Gory Cooper, yeah. a Robert Dedford. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, you know, and I... And I, I remember I was like, I told Kevin, I'm going to, I go, I'm going to try to do the biggest, best laugh I've ever done, <laughs> you know, and uh, which probably the be the biggest, best, best one I ever did is the one that's in the opening when he pops out of the casket. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever, I, I don't think I've ever like matched that one, but, um, but that one was close, you know, cause he's sitting there laughing. It's, yeah. It's huge. You had to go on. <laughs> a little bit longer than normal you know that i hate that for some reason i never liked that shot because van was by himself you know in holding the crypt keeper up you know and having had to i always try to take the jerk out of puppets you know like the, the wobbly wagga wagga yeah. so uh and that was he was just single-handed like one arm would be lifting that up and kind of trying to hold it steady so that was the best of all the takes that we we did you know but it's one of those things you just stick and you're like i wish i could go back and just just take the woggle out of you. It worked, man. Yeah, that's, that's the moment that, that all these grown kids tell me that where they had to leave the room. Really? That's the really? moment. Yes, and that's and only the you, moment. And, and only you, being the perfectionist that you were then yeah. and you probably are now and what you know work, you, you would you would see that. Yeah. But the, the audiences and even I don't I don't think I even saw it or or it, yeah. it didn't bother me. If I did if I did see it and I acknowledged it, it never for a moment took me out of it or made me feel like, oh, we should do that over. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, that, that this is art necessarily, but they always say art's always abandoned, never or never finished, but always abandoned. You know, you have to give up at one point. Filmmaking yeah. is the same way, right? Yeah. You have a yeah. cut, you go, look, we have to walk away from this at one point. You know, so there's always those little things, but every time I see it, I go, gosh, one too many jerks, just one too many jerks. <laughs> hey, hey, but hey, it hey. was like an angry fist. He comes up yeah. and goes, ah! <laughs> I like this kind of thing in your face. You know, we, we all we all live in rewrites. Yeah, yeah. right, right. You know, they had uh, the you know they when they had um, the Crypt Keeper at not scary farms and at um, uh, you know Halloween Horror Nights in Universal. They had this. They would replace the stunt show with yeah. a slasher show where blood's thrown out into the audience, and the Crypt Keeper would pop up in the set. And because it was one person holding yes. him up, he moved like that. 
yeah. a lot. And, you know, and I was always like, eh, it's kind of <laughs> puppety looking. But you know what? The audience loved it. It was something that, that fit with it that was great. But those puppeteers were great. I, I'm, uh, I miss Van and, you know, yeah. the audience. Uh, audience that yeah, we've, we've lost, uh, we've lost us, but... three of them. Uh, mm. uh, you know, Van Snowden and, and Brock Winkless and, and then uh, Tony Ruprecht also. Was, it wasn't one of the original puppeteers, but he came on, you know. I didn't uh, know we lost Brock. Yeah, Brock. Yeah, Brock died of, of, of MS. Oh. And he suffered from it from, from the time he was uh, like 19. But it's amazing that he had this, you know, thing going on and you never know it. You know, no, like, puppeteer never. through. Wow. I mean, I had, I mean, he told me down the line, I think, you know, you're always afraid if you have something going on to tell anybody because you'll maybe lose your job or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. He kind of kept it from me, and, and I think I saw some like his finger twitching or something. I said, "Hey, what's that?" And he finally told me what was going on with him. But it was w way into we were already way into other projects and and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we lost him uh, about uh, I think it was about three years ago, three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, and now he's with the Crypt Keeper. No, not right. Right. <laughs> Because oh, you have no. a long life ahead of you, but an even longer death. <laughs> now, did you just improv that one? <laughs> totally. You, you, you are more than just a one-trick pony, Kevin. You've, you've done more than just a crypt keeper, uh, Chucky. Yes. Uh, is, now, now you were there at, at the inception when yeah. when Chucky yeah. was created. The very beginning. Yeah, I, I, I met David Kirshner right after I done I'd done Nightmare on Elm Street three. And I had a big Fred, Freddy snake head that had articulation to it, lips and things. And uh, he came over and, you know, Rick Baker recommended me for the job and he came over and saw that. And that's kind of, that kind of led to, to Chucky. And this is true. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but uh, because at the first, the first year of Crypt, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So Joel just gave me what he could, and there, you know, and I, and I had to, you know, beg and borrow and take from other things. And one of the things that Chucky and the Crypt Keeper share are their eyeballs. So I knew that I loved the eyeballs of huh. the way we had done for Chucky because they were, they started out kind of sky blue and they turned into these ice cold blue eyes. And I thought, you know, these would really work for the Crypt Keeper and save me a lot of money. And I've got about four pair left over from Chucky that I didn't use. So I, I, I ended up putting those in, in the eyes. People think of the whole head was, you know, the mechanism and everything. That's all, that was all done just for the Crypt Keeper. Just but. The, the revelations keep dropping here. Yes, yeah. So I yeah, think, the, you know, the kids know about it because you yeah, told me that and I, and I, you know, I, I just revealed it like what are, kids were like, God, these look like Chucky eyes. I go, actually? They are. Yeah, they are. And so it got around. So yeah. I get, I, you know, a lot of people walk up to my table or, you know, uh, email me or DM me and go, is it true? Is it true? And I go, yes, it is true. It, it is now completely officially confirmed. It is confirmed. Yes. <laughs> they have the same eyes and the same window to the soul that therefore. That's right. <laughs> Wikipedia can now cite that. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the fun, the funnest things that we did uh, was, was the Crip Jam. John, do you remember that? The Crip Jam? I do. I do. And somebody, started, that. Some, somebody started singing singing it to me the other day, you know, and I was like, well, you know, Chucky Booker wrote that, who used to write yes. for Janet Jackson. But there is a thing with him, Chucky and I yeah. doing this thing in the well, background. You, yes. You know, and I tell them that you directed it, and I love the tapping foot, and as you back up, it's just like a foot. There's no <laughs> leg connected. I mean, just part of a leg connected to it. Yeah. And um, is really a great, a great tune. I don't know if you guys ever knew this, but they had me promote it on Howard Stern. Yes, I think I did. I think I heard that, actually. Yeah. And so I go on Howard Stern and, you know, Howard at the time was like, if he doesn't know you, he's just going to like, you know, he's going to eat you for lunch. 
So I go on and I get, hello, Howard. And he's like, he goes, I hate the Crypt Keeper. I go, what "What do you mean you hate me? I'm I'm just like you, Howard. I love to be hated. He's like, oh my God, he's laughing. He can't help laughing. He's like, okay, I, I love you, John. I, I, it's the puppet I can't stand. And he starts going off on it. And he goes, and what is this song? He goes, is this like a Shatner album? I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, geez. It's the Crip Jam. It's uh, awesome. I go, play some of it. And he plays it. He goes, oh, this is pretty good. But yeah. at the end, he's trying to break the DVD and he can't break yeah. the DVD and stuff. He goes, oh, that's what I hate about these DVDs. You can't break them. You know, I got a call back from Gary Delabate, you know, who works with him. He's like, oh my God, Howard just loved you. It was so great. He goes, he never had me back on, but it was. It he was never had you back a... on? You didn't go back on after this? No, you know, I mean, at that point, they were like negotiating into oh, yeah. you know, going into, uh, you know, then he wound up with, you know, syndicated and all that <laughs> stuff. I think he was still mainly in New York and, and in some syndication, but. Um, uh, God, I have that on a on a cassette tape somewhere. The, the early early days, long oh long before God. satellite radio. I just liked it because it was uh, it gave us something. It was a longer piece, obviously. I think it was a three or four minute you know song, but I, I love the fact that you had you know. Had, well, we had, tried to do one with girls around rap and all that. Oh stuff. my God, a whole other thing. And I got to do fun things like the Crypt Keeper right next to this girl who was you know twerking you know no well, i love you did the flash dance thing with yeah him, where he throws yeah, his okay. hair back and the... <laughs> yeah, that was great he wet his hair down it was fantastic it's funny because i remember they tried to do one with heavy d and it was not yeah. it just didn't have the same kind of crypt keeper-ish thing this one had more of a thriller thing to it yeah he, he appeared in an episode he appeared in um mm-hmm. uh, on a dead man's chest that's right yeah. billy friedkin's episode yeah it's a good well, one that's right. The Crypt Keeper's in the house with a groove that's nasty and mean, like the effects of a guillotine. A permanent headache's the end of the mission, because you have entered the Keeper's terror vision. <laughs> it, it's still so fresh. You remember all that. Yeah. How are you doing it so fresh? That's so oh, my God. Uh, what, what, are, what are you working on now, Kevin? I'm uh, doing a TV series called Mrs. Davis. Uh, just doing some, you know, I'm still in television, uh, you know, and uh, there's a couple other projects going on, uh, but doing some secret stuff uh, with, uh, I can't talk to you. I'd have to. Of course, well, of course. You'd have, have to, to kill us. Kill us. <laughs> That's why it's secret. <laughs> secret stuff. But, but um, uh, yeah, and so, so I shouldn't even mention it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, just keeping busy, you know, still, still doing it, you know, uh, not directing anymore really much, but, um how about you guys? Uh, well, we'll we'll get to us. Okay, uh, John. <laughs> hey, you know, because because the audience is going to get sick of us. We're here to talk about you guys. Oh. Uh, but but we'll answer the question. Uh, John, uh, you you you're working all the time, man. You're like the hardest working man in show business, aren't you? Uh, you know, I feel really lucky. You know, first of all, there's there's another thing that I can credit. You know, doing the Crypt Keeper with, and that was launching my voiceover career. Oh, wow. Because although people knew that I, you know, had a talent for this, especially because I did all these voices and characters in my stand-up, which is why HBO even thought to bring me in on this, um, you know, it, it, it seated me as one of the top voiceover people in the business. And, you know, as you get older, there are just less roles written for your age group. And, of sure, course, sure. it's more competitive because the guys who are still around are all great. You know, you like to think you're good, but there's also a lot of other really good people, you know. 
And I still get my share of auditions for some on-camera stuff here and there, and I still get offered things here and there. But Your you reel know, is very good, by the way. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No, it really is. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know why. You, you, people should hire you more. I, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's, if, if, it's, if Gil and I can, can, can finish putting this show together, you got a job, my friend. I'm on it, baby. <laughs> I would love it. But, um, you know, I uh, literally, uh, you know, you're not counted out by anything that, you know, as a voice actor, you know, during the pandemic, I have my own little, uh, you know, sound studio. This is not actually it, <laughs> although it looks like it. Um, I do have the microphone here. Here we go. Here we can push that right in there. But, um, you know, I was able to do some major, you know, Disney pictures and I worked for Illumination and I worked on the new um, Ghostbusters and, you know, doing the little marshmallow guys and some other stuff along with a, 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 another group of crazy voiceover guys and that kind of thing. And um, so, you know, I mean, you could play anything, you know, uh, any age group, any, you know, gender or any, you know, anything that even that's not alive or uh, or human. So, you know, I did Flora and Ulysses, which was the, the big Disney kids movie uh, mm -hmm. last year. Right, year right, before. right. As you know, they go, oh, he did Miko the raccoon. He must be able to do a squirrel. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> squirrel must be within his range. Exactly. So, so rodents a, are your range? To know that, <laughs> yes, to know that's in your wheelhouse is, uh, <laughs> it's a turning wheel. But, um, you know, so. Do you do I, other mammals? I, yes. <laughs> what, like, what size mammal would you go up to? So what uh, happened then was, it's, it's, it's so ironic. It, it it's to be expected. John Kassir, the guy with the studio in his house, his sound system breaks down and begins projecting through Zoom. It, it's it's like a, like a, a noise in a in, in a, a horror movie that they're trying to kill you with. In the end of the day, we we had to disconnect John and we reconnected him with with my phone in, into the mic. That will be that part two of our conversation. Uh, we will. We'll hold on to as uh, uh, some bonus material for 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 later. Uh, it was it was such fun to talk to John and Kevin about this. It it really was. And yeah, it was great. I mean, we haven't really spoken. I, I see John and talk to John quite often, um, but I haven't really spoken to Kevin for a long time. And this, it was so delightful to reconnect with him, yeah. um, especially when he told us how, how old he was. It made me feel a little bit better. Oh my God! Yes, yes, yes. Because I, 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 he, the man must be made of plastic. <laughs> he certainly looks better than we do. <laughs> oh jeez! Oh man! How, somehow he has avoided all the vicissitudes. I know. I don't know what's with that guy. We better hang out with him more often, Alan. Truly, or hey, drink whatever he's drinking, or inject whatever <laughs> he's injecting, because it's it's working wonders. Uh, uh, hey, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as, as we said up front, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff coming the rest of the season. Between Gil and I, we know so many people, and we've got some guests coming that I, I think you'll really, really enjoy. Plus, we'll, we'll always dip, dip back into the past and talk to some of our, our, our friends from Tales from the Crypt, because we only scratch the surface of all of those stories that we had from, from back then. Yeah, there was much more pain than we were we let on. Let on. <laughs> Surely we're, we've we've gone easy on on ourselves, but hey, see you next time, everybody. Yeah.
The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast, followed up for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content.